Welcome to the Self-Made Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Morgan, and I love speaking with people who are cultivating economically valuable expertise outside the world of academia and the licensed professions. Some of these conversations end up on this podcast. You can learn more about my work helping indie consultants build an expertise moat at philipmorganconsulting.com. Seth Erickson, welcome to the Self-Made Expert. Well, thank you for having me. I I know you. <laughs> you used to be a client, <laughs> and water's gone under the bridge, and you've made changes to your business. It, our listeners probably don't know you at all, so <laughs> let's start with who you are, what you do. We'll start there, and we'll see where this conversation about your self-made expertise takes us. Yeah, so I'm Seth Erickson. I'm the chief mischief maker at Storyfy Agency. And essentially what we do is we help startups communicate their value to investors and to the marketplace at large. And uh, I think even though we work with startups, I think your audience will kind of be able to glean a lot of information from, from this because they're entrepreneurs. So They should think of themselves that way. I hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you arrive? I don't, I had thought for a moment about kind of exploring your specialization journey. And I don't think we're going to go that deep into it because there's other stuff that I think will be more interesting to listeners. But how did you arrive at this point in terms of your specialization and, and what you care about? Well, it was uh, through massive personal failure. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I, you know, when, when you and I worked together, you know, I was, I was running a web design agency and my focus was just do, do badass design, right? Like that was it. Do good design, win awards. Mm -hmm. And, and I think when you and I talked, I was kind of searching for something more. I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm, I might want to go down this consulting route. I might want to do this. I might want to do that. And then the business, uh, we lost three of our biggest clients pretty much in one month in January of 2016. One, because they hired a new marketing director and the marketing director wanted a clean house. Another, because they didn't get their next round of funding. And that is the kiss of death in startup world. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third one, they were like, sales are going so good. We're not doing any marketing for like the next year. And we actually didn't hear from them for like a year and a half, but they did come back to us. So that was mm -hmm. great. But was your so, company still there when they came back? <laughs> uh, yes, but it went from 22 people to basically me and a developer, and we literally, uh, you know, shut down our office, uh, had to let everybody go, and so we went from being like an agency back to being a freelancer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with right. Aug augmented name. freelancer. <laughs> <laughs> and so during that period, I kind of was on walkabout because I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, you know, like I said, I wanted to change from just being a generalist web designer, right? Like, because we were seeing in by 2015, it was like, oh, my, my brother's uncle's dog does websites and yeah. the cost of websites were kind of going down, mm -hmm. you know, depending on your market and your, and, you know, we weren't specialized at all. We worked across 42 different industries and, uh, in 2015, I had a friend tell me, you know, what you really are. He's like, you're not a web designer, you're a storyteller. And I was like, great, how do I monetize that? Uh -huh. Right? Like, I'm not going to write, 
movies or books or <laughs> so I thought apparently, yeah. um, you know, and I'm, I'm not, you know, doing songs. And so I, I had this very kind of narrow view of what storytelling actually was and how it could be used. And he gave me this book called Story Wars uh, by Jonah Sachs. And he said, you should read this. I think you're going to find a lot in here. And turns out Jonah Sachs ran a uh, kind of a video animation agency. And he considered himself to be a storyteller. And he t- talked a lot about um, what storytelling it is and how it's useful. And, you know, I thought that was really fascinating. And so I then started consuming pretty much every book I could get on storytelling. You know, a lot of these the books on storytelling don't actually talk about storytelling from like what it is kind of a perspective. They'll talk about, you know, how to write a book, how to write a screenplay. Like uh, mm-hmm. I, I read story by Robert McKee, which is a screenwriting book. Right. Um, but there's a lot of good information in there about how to tell good stories. And so I kind of had to go through this process of going, okay, well, that's great, but how do I use it for, you know, making money and making my clients money. Because <laughs> right. um, clients love it when you when you make them money. It makes them really happy. I don't know if you've noticed this. but uh, So some of the books started mentioning things about what neuroscience was saying. And so I was like, well, I guess I should read some research papers. And I read several hundred research papers and started finding that there was a lot of science behind storytelling. And all the papers were super boring. But I, I said, there's lots of great information in here. So how do I, how do I start to, you know, put this to use? And Mm -hmm. it basically started changing the conversations that we were having with clients and we started to kind of specialize into storytelling and then kind of went down the branding route because there's a lot of branding stuff. Well, and, and marketing too, but not, not all marketing uses storytelling, but there's, and not all branding uses storytelling, but there's more information when you go down those routes as well. So Mm -hmm. started kind of going hey, I can, I can make money doing this and I can help people. And really what happened was I went down the, you know, the web design route because I was good at design. And I thought, well, that's, that's my purpose. I'm good at this thing, so that must be what I should do with my life. And people pay me to do it. And I win awards and that's great. But there was something always missing. And so a lot of different factors kind of came together as I you know, kind of studied this and and started to kind of go hmm you know <laughs> mm-hmm. so then it was about a year and a half ago or not a year and a half ago two years ago uh, i went back to some former employees and i said let's get the band back together i got a i got this new idea and i'd been testing things out with clients you know as a as a freelancer and started seeing some really good results and mm-hmm. started changing the way that we were you know talking to customers the way our customers were talking to their customers. And, you know, it just kind of had this ripple effect. And I was like, well, it looks like we got something here. So <laughs> let's go down this route. <laughs> if if someone had in 2015 said, I've got a new um, thing for you, Seth, you're going to love it. It's great. <laughs> it, you're going to be passionate about it. But it's going to be four years of kind of wandering in the dark to get there. Um, are you interested? Would, would you have said yes to that in 2015? Um, I don't know. Um, I guess a different way for me to put it is I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Um, because I had to work really hard to figure that out. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I, 
I noticed too in my former agency is we had no vision. You know, like I said, we're just we do good web design. That was our sales pitch, mm-hmm. and and we did good work for clients, and we got a lot of referrals because of it. And um, but we didn't have something that we said, here's where we're going, this is what we're doing, and something that would excite customers and other people to say, yeah, I want to join you on that journey. Right? That's what I see a vision. It's like a future yeah. state that gets other people excited to be a part of that. And so was it worthwhile? Yeah. Did it suck? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alternate imaginary scenario. You get a time machine, single-use time machine. You decide you want to use it to go back to 2015 and tell Seth of 2015, I figured it out, dude. Here's what it is. It's storytelling. You're just going to have to trust me that you're going to be super excited about this in 2019. How would you? How would Seth of 2015 have responded to that offer? Skip all the soul searching and just <laughs> choose it today, 2015. Save those four years of soul searching. Well, I I would have probably been like, holy shit! I came from the future. Yeah, that would wow. that might that, be the that, overwhelming <laughs> fact in this scenario. <laughs> That's amazing. How'd you do that? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like it was kind of like my friend telling me it was like okay, great. But how do I do that? So if I get in the time machine, I, I would probably be like, you know, you need to read these books. Okay. Right? Cause it took, took time to get, get to that place. Like I had to pull a lot of different things together. I read over 50 books on storytelling and there was a few key books that, that started kind of making this stuff click together. Okay. Um, and so I would have probably said, read these books. Right. And then that would have gotten me further faster. Okay. okay. But so I would have, yeah. Okay. Aside so from you, you being shocked. <laughs> right. Yes. Once you got over that, you would have delivered a curriculum to yourself. Yes. That you yourself had kind of assembled, but now with the benefit of, well, here's here's the really critical stuff. This other stuff is optional or these are just worthless. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I worked for a company in... Uh, what year are we talking about? Whenever the real estate market crashed, who went through almost the exact same thing you're talking about. They had close to 20 people. And by the time the layoffs were done, they had the founder and the founder's augmenter, you know, like their, the augmented, he went back to the augmented freelance model. He had like a right hand mm-hmm. man and himself. And so I, I've, I've seen that same transition. I didn't have the pain of, the pain of being laid off is a lot less than the pain of laying off or firing, um, you know, 20 some people that's rough. Mm-hmm. Not that I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I mean, just, just for the honesty factor, I, I would say, you know, I went into basically a functioning depression after that happened. So I think, wasn't I just... think any help, healthy, empathetic human probably would quite honestly, even if you're not predisposed to depression, I think you would. Yeah. So it, it, it was, that also, I think made, made that four year time period a lot harder. Right. Cause you know, it just, it wasn't like, I was like, all right, I laid off 22 people. I'm going to get right back to work and <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> jump in with both feet. You know? Right. I would be a little worried about your soul <laughs> if, uh, if you could do that. I, one more question about this specialization thing, then we'll move yeah. on to, um, storytelling. Cause I want to hear about that. It seems like there were two leading indicators around that 2015 time period. One was you, your interest, 
you just registered an extremely high level of interest in this this idea about storytelling. And then you started mm-hmm. seeing the conversation change when you were talking to prospective clients. What mm-hmm. did that change in conversation look like? They listened a hell of a lot more. Oh, okay. <laughs> they didn't ask me as many questions. They were just like, really, really interesting, fascinating, right? We weren't getting into discussions about like, how much is this going to cost? You know, how long is it going to take? You know, like all the logistics of, you know, web design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, in learning about storytelling, I just started telling them stories and people just started listening. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, this is fascinating. I've never heard this. That I, I heard that several times or very variations of that. I never heard this before. Right. Um, and which is funny because everybody knows what stories and storytelling is. So it's like, it seems like it wouldn't be that, that interesting, but it was interesting to me. And, and, um, and yeah. And, and so I just saw more enthusiasm for the idea than I ever did for web design. It was like, Oh, we need a website. We heard you're good. Can you do a website for us? <laughs> you know? Right. And this seems like the questions you were getting were not the, Oh, that's interesting. Let's move on to the next agenda item type of, uh, expression of that it that's interesting but it was legit it was people who really found the idea stimulating yes yeah i think that's a good way of putting it interesting okay moving on no i'm kidding <laughs> 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 all right but that that really is there's there's other uh even more interesting things to talk about thank you for that so you said something like that was going to be my first question about storytelling just a moment ago. It's a thing people have heard of, and I think that means a lot of folks feel like they understand it, but do they really? Do we marketers or we people out in the market really understand storytelling? I think I posted something on LinkedIn at one time, and it was something along the lines of, the idea was basically that like storytelling can be used for marketing, but not all marketing uses storytelling. Right, okay. Um, and and where I, I see the differentiation is there are marketers who use storytelling and they invite their customers into that story. But then there are marketers who shout at people, you know, hey, buy my crap, buy my crap, buy my crap. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and I think it's a very different, again, it's a very different conversation you're having with your audience and, and your customers and how you relate to them and how they feel about you and all that stuff. So Okay, I want to hear more about that because because I'm selfish, because I'm developing my own sort of theory about what is a brand and not like what's a logo or a visual mark, but what is a brand for an indie consultant? That's a question that gets a lot of cycles for me these days. And I, I think very simply, it's, it's an invitation to buy into something bigger and it's a non-financial transaction. I mean, it can involve buying stuff, but it's also at its essence, like you're bought into the idea that storytelling is powerful, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way you did not see things that way, you did not believe that, now you do. So there's been a change, and and I call that change buy-in. You've bought into this idea that storytelling is something more people should understand, care about, and use. And I hear you saying that a story is something people can participate in. What does that mean? Hmm. Well, there's a whole bunch of things in, in what you just said. And along the lines of what you were talking about, about what a brand is, yeah. um, Marty Neumeyer, who's a 
very famous brander. He said, branding is what other people say about you. Right. Marketing is what you say about yourself. And I've seen it. I actually see it as brands are, are like people, right? Like you have relationships with, you know, friends or family members or whatever, and they act a certain way, they dress a certain way, they talk a certain way. So I see, see the brand as being, you know, kind of this fully encompassing idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, when you think about a person, right, whether it's good or bad, you're basically creating a story in your mind about Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's, that's part of it. But to answer your question about like, how do you, you know, invite your customer into that conversation, it's easy. You talk about them and not yourself. Okay. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I often try to point out to clients that we work with is like, you know, you're writing your emails and you're saying, Hey, I'm so-and-so buy my crap. Right. And it's like, like going up to somebody at a party and telling them how amazing you are and, and you guys don't know each other at all. Right. It just comes across like, mm, okay, you know, hmm. um, but if you talk about them and you make them kind of the, the center of attention, then people are, amazingly willing to listen <laughs> right. uh, because we all like to talk about ourselves and share our, our ourselves with other people. But yeah, it's, you know, companies too often try to set themselves up as, as, you know, the hero in the hero's journey, but we're all heroes on our, our own individual journey. And, and because of that, like, you know, we don't need more heroes in our lives. <laughs> so, mm. um, I, I can hear in my mind the the objection to this, which is, okay, when do we get to the part where I get to talk about my product and how great it is or how crazy people are for not buying it or whatever, right? When do we get to that part? And so I'm, I'm curious how you think about, you know, all of that stuff, like not just talking about your customer or client making them the hero of the story, but also how do you connect that to selling things? So you have to make them care. And so you, you talk about them, you talk about your, their problem, you talk about how you understand that problem and that you have a solution. It's, it's actually pretty simple, okay. but we quite often get the order of operations wrong. Like one of the things that we have talked to lots of startups about is like they'll, they'll want to pitch investors. Right. And they'll come in with their 80 slide deck, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's all these numbers about how, you know, and all this history of, you know, their company and all this stuff. But but they're not talking to investors in the way that people want to be talked to, which is to tell an interesting story. Like the numbers mm-hmm. are great, like but you need to tell an interesting story, get them invested or get them interested, and then they'll want to see the numbers. Right. But you don't start with the numbers and start with all this, you know, blah, blah, blah stuff, unless your story is really interesting. And, but just, it's the way that, that you're talking to people, you know, that has a, has a big effect on when and where you can start to change things. And so, um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take, take that long. Like, you know, we'll write up emails and, you know, one or two lines will be about, you know, the customer and their problem and, then the third line is literally like we understand and here's why we understand. And then the fourth line or fifth line is, and you know, here's the product, right? But we don't start the email with the product in the first line. So it's that 
like I said, order of operations. Why do we not do this by default or alternately? Why do we do it in the wrong order? Well, because we're also heroes in our own journey. So we want to talk about us. <laughs> okay. And yeah, it's like, let's say you have a, have a great company, right? Like you're, you know, Acme software development and, you know, you, you've been in business and you've worked for all these amazing clients, right? Like that's exciting to you and that's important to you, but it's not as important to, to a customer, like until, like, like I said, until they care, right? So how you, so lots of people go with their themselves kind of in first place. They're not thinking about other people. Like there's no, you know, there's no kind of, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Like self-reflection on how that conversation should go. And so, yeah, you know, like people start off with their emails and they're like, hi, you know, Mr. So-and-so I'm, you know, Jeff Bezos from Amazon and I'm amazing. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, people are, we're all self-interested. So mm -hmm. if you talk to me about myself, then I'm more interesting, more interested in listening to you because you're talking about me. Uh, but instead you come to me and you start talking about yourself. And so, yeah. And it's just, like I said, it's our own, our own self-interest or, you know, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. Here's something I'm curious about in a, in a sort of abstract sense. It's this question. Why, why do people try to make things better than good enough? And we could, you know, come up with any number of examples, like someone's business is doing great, more, more than they, you know, money than they could ever spend in a lifetime. Why would they try to keep making that business better or bigger? In other words, like what problem are we solving by going from plenty good to even better than that? I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's probably a lot of different reasons for that, you know, ego right as, as one you know some people just like to win you know like and so they they see themselves as well i'm growing my business so i'm winning you know mm -hmm. um that's how i probably looked at things in the past so mm -hmm. i can speak to that but i don't really know why everybody's doing everything that they're doing i, I wish i did it would oh make, come on seth <laughs> make my job a hell of a lot easier <laughs> uh well, that brings up an interesting point. How do you discover an approach to storytelling that is likely to be resonant with those you're trying to reach? So in our process, it really relies on the customer to know know who they're speaking to. So we don't, like with the storytelling process, we don't actually say, this is, we say, here's how to tell a story, mm -hmm. but the customer has to kind of fill in the blanks, right? Because, you know, we work, with a lot of different startups over that are do, working in different industries, like medical, you know, we have a skincare line, right? Like uh, we have a, a workout app startup that, you know, these are just three examples of ones that we're working with right now. And so we have to rely on them to know their audience and the problem that they're solving. And then what we do is, you know, we, we kind of take all that information that they give us and we help them put it together in a story format. Right, and it kind of follows the hero's journey. It's a modified version of the hero's journey. Okay, um, but we use the hero's journey because that is the pattern that's been identified as um, resonant across all time, all cultures, all races. Yeah, <laughs> it's a repeating pattern. Okay, so. so how many startups tend to get that right? Like they they have a correct or a functionally effective understanding 
of the problem they actually solve and their customers' actual needs. I would, I mean, this is me per, speaking from personal experience. So, yeah. you know, we'll take it with a grain of salt. I would say it's about half. Okay. Like, and, and maybe that's me being optimistic, uh, although I, I've seen a lot more startups fail. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> but it, it's, it's not just because of, of understanding the problem or their customer. I mean, there's lots of other reasons why startups fail. So, but I do believe it, it comes down to communication at the end of the day, right? Because you have to work with other humans, whether it's investors or the marketplace or whatever, and, and you have to communicate with them and you have to communicate with them in, in a way that's effective so that they care about what you're doing. So, so the ones that seem to get it right, that 50% maybe that get it right, they're better communicators. Is there anything else you're seeing them do that helps them get better insight? Oh, well, they're actually doing the work to do research. Okay. You know, I've, I've had some startups come to us with like really paper thin user research. Like yeah. it literally is like four lines on a piece of paper. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know anything about these customers, okay. you know, that you're, that you think, you know, are going to buy your product. Like you're, it's like, well, you know, they're in their thirties and they're dog owners and they live in New York. Okay. So is it more research or better research or both? Those, those who don't have this problem. The ones that don't have the problem, yeah, they're doing more research. They're, okay. they're not just doing demographics. They're looking at psychographics. They're talking to potential customers. You know, they're doing market testing, you know, with their product where they're, you know, saying, hey, if we built this, would you be interested in buying it? Okay. You know, so they're doing that before, before they're even, you know, getting into an MVP. Got it. Okay. So... You have a you have an approach, you have a sort of framework or format for the story. Do you ever see clients like just happily and fully engage with the process and then get to the end and they're like shocked by the story that comes out or surprised or they have resistance to implementing it? We've seen some some resistance, but for the most part, I would say that they they actually are really happy. Because yeah. it resonates with them. Because, like I said, we're not telling them what to do. They're telling, they're giving us the pieces, and um, you know, they're giving us the ingredients. And then we're 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 baking this awesome cake, and they're yeah. like, "That cake looks wonderful. I love it." And it's like, well, you gave us the eggs and the flour and the butter, and you know, right, right. Um, and we just turned it into something for you. So we really see ourselves as facilitators in the storytelling process, and in that, the customer owns their story still at the end of the day. So, yeah, that makes sense. When there is resistance, why is that? Like what and what I'm really getting at is not so much like what's wrong with these clients, but more generally, why would we resist telling a good story about ourselves, our businesses, our company? Part of the resistance I've seen is sort of uncertainty. Uh-huh. Like they're like the idea sounds really amazing. Are you sure this is going to work? And okay. it's like well, as long as we're telling the right story to the right people, yes. But if we're telling the wrong story, you know, or we're telling a story to the wrong people, then no. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one thing that I I try to point out is I'm like, this isn't like, you know, some silver bullet. Like, it works great if, you know, it's like the, the old thing, like, you can't sell aspirin to somebody who doesn't have a headache. Right. Right. Like, then, you know, so if you tell me, 
this is who my customers are, and and then we create that story and it falls flat. It's not because story doesn't work. It's because there's a lack of understanding of of who you're talking to. You know, I don't know. I was just trying to come up with an example, but like, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're into NASCAR and you try to tell somebody about how incredible NASCAR is to somebody who's like, you know, a soccer fan and they could care less about NASCAR, like there's not going to be a lot of conversation going back and forth. You know, they might nod their head and go, okay, that's cool. I'm glad you're into that. But like, you know, but if you go to that soccer fan and and you want to talk soccer with them, you know, then you're going to have a much better conversation. Right. It's just, just general human communication again. So Damn it, Seth, you mentioned NASCAR, and then I started thinking about professional wrestling, and now I forgot my follow-up question. <laughs> I, th- I think professional wrestling is such a, like, if you strip away the specifics, it's speaking to so many universal things, and some of those um, productions are really good at storytelling, I think. Um, oh, yeah. And I totally got distracted with what my follow-up question well, was. Well, <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, all, all of those professional wrestlers have a backstory, and then they build a brand, right, around that story and that individual. So it kind of goes back to what, what I was talking about, about uh, branding uh, earlier. So just to bring it full circle. <laughs> I, I have instapapered the Wikipedia article on Ric Flair, which is very lengthy, and Almost, not quite in the first paragraph, but let's talking about his early life. He was adopted by from some orphanage that stole babies from someplace else. And as I read that, I'm like, that that's how probably every professional wrestler's uh, life should begin if it didn't actually begin that way. <laughs> There's just something so appropriate about that. Let's talk about the fact that you have written a book like a re it's going to be a real book i don't know if it's, it's a pdf now that's what i saw but mm-hmm. it's going to be real soon I, I don't know what makes a book real i, I suppose the, the fact that someone can purchase it anyway <laughs> you've written a book <laughs> seth can you just sort of overview the book and then i want to i want to talk about what the process of writing the book was like yeah so the book is called how to hack humans it'll be on, it'll come out on Amazon October 15th. That's a Friday, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, it'll be in print and Kindle. And essentially, it talks about, uh, it's kind of done in three parts. And it talks about sort of the neuroscience about storytelling. So like anybody who reads it knows this isn't just my opinion, right? Like this is what science says. And mm-hmm. that generally does a good job of hoping people feel like you know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the next piece is, is really then going into story and understanding, again, that recipe, what what makes a good story. And then the third piece is, is the application of, of that and how does that work in your marketing or your branding. And uh, yeah, and then there's some bonus chapters in there that kind of t- cover other topics that are adjacent to marketing or storytelling or being an entrepreneur or being in a startup. So the sound you heard, Seth, was the sound of everyone marking October fifteenth on their calendar. <laughs> so they can take the whole day off and just sit there and refresh an Amazon search result page. <laughs> um, are you running any kind of like sign up here and get notified when the book launches or are you trying to do that thing where you get a big sales spike early on or how are you approaching putting this book in the market? 
So uh, a couple of different ways. One is um, I'm contacting people and saying, hey, if I sent you my book, would you be willing to give me a review mm -hmm. on, on Amazon? And that seems to be going well so far. Uh, you know, I'd like to get, you know, because Amazon, something like you want to get like something like 50 reviews and then Amazon will give you a little bit more love. Okay. Um, Are these people you know already? Strangers? Professional uh, reviewers? Uh, no, it's just kind of friends and okay. people that I've worked with in the past. Yeah. Those details matter to anyone who's thinking about doing something like this. That's why I ask. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing I'm doing is, is, uh, booking podcasts. Hey, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Word, what's the word count of the book? It's about 26,000 words. Okay. I don't, 400 something. It Have you takes done, about, done the reading time estimate on it? Yeah, it takes anywhere from two to two and a half hours. Um, right. Yeah, that's that's about right for 20,000-ish words. So when did you decide Seth is writing a book? It was kind of a fluke. <laughs> My as all, uh, as all good books start out as. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I um, We had some downtime in the business and I said, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I sat down did, and started did really, writing a did, book. Did it really come out of nowhere like that? Uh, yeah. I, well, I, a friend of mine, uh, like a couple weeks prior, I think mentioned something and said, man, you should write a book. Like, you know so much about this and you love it so much. And uh, someone inceptioned the idea in your head. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it was a couple weeks later and we hit this downtime and, I said, you know what, I'm going to write a book. And so I just started putting an outline together and I was like, well, what would the chapters be? Mm -hmm. Oh, I could do this. I could talk about this. I could talk about this. And then when I, once I got the chapters down, I started creating like sub points or subtopics for uh -huh. each chapter just to kind of flesh it out a little bit more. And then I just decided I'm going to try to write 1500 words a day. And some days I did more than that. Some days I did less. And it took me about two and a half weeks uh, from start to finish. How detailed was the outline before the these two and a half weeks of writing started? Not, I, I would say it's not super detailed. I probably came up with like three or four points or sub points for each chapter Okay. Uh, before I started. And it, it just was enough to make me go, oh, right, I need, I need to talk about that. Or, oh, right, you know, I need to do mm -hmm. this thing. And part of that two and a half weeks was also going back and rereading research that I had done prior. Cause I was like, what, what, what did they say exactly? I need to get this right. <laughs> right. So in a way, this is not, I mean, there's like, when did, when did something start? Right. Like that's such an interesting question because you can incorporate all the precursors. So in a way, this book, you started writing this book in 2015 with the research that you were doing into storytelling. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where the, I would say the journey began. Um, yeah. and the, and the transformation happened and yeah, I just, like you said, research, you know, I, I, that's what I started doing was just researching this topic that I was really interested in and consuming all the content I could get my hands on. And I mean, in that research, I don't even think about all the probably hundreds of like articles, you know, you know, about marketing and branding and stuff that were blogs or, you know, on Harvard business review or this blog or that blog or whatever that yeah. talk about storytelling uh so 
So when someone has decided that uh, tools don't matter, they find all the reasons to throw shade on talking about tools. And when they've decided they do matter, the opposite happens. I think tools matter for people doing creative work. What sort of tools did you use for the writing? And I'm also curious, I had written this down earlier. You said you've digested hundreds of research papers. Was there any tooling that was helpful there? And and a tool could be, oh, this I found this chair that makes my back not hurt. <laughs> That's fine too. I'm just mm-hmm. curious about things that helped you do the work. Yeah. So uh, speaking of chairs, I have a Herman Miller Aeron chair. I love it. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah. that would be my chair tool. I you know, Googled a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great mm-hmm. tool. Uh-huh. Uh, I used Grammarly uh, to help me write because my grammar sucks. I also used uh, the Hemingway editor, mm-hmm. um, which helps kind of helps you simplify your language. I used uh, Power Thesaurus quite a few times because mm-hmm. I was like, I keep saying the same word over and over again. I need to come up with a new one. Um, Wait, what was the word that got overused? Uh, well, I mean, story, yeah. right? So, okay. you know, you could you can switch that up and call it a narrative and yeah. um, and other things. But And Grammarly has a built-in thesaurus, but I found Power Thesaurus just gives you an infinite more uh, or an infinite amount of uh-huh. options. Okay. I use a website called Brain Brain.fm. It plays music in a way that helps you your brain waves kind of slow down and focus. Uh-huh. So that's another tool. Um, and then a lot of Spotify. I listen to a lot of drum and bass music, which uh-huh. also helps me focus. Yeah. Um, and then aside from that, like like what else did I use? I'm probably forgetting something. Google Docs. I mean, I, I literally just wrote the book in, in Google Docs, and then, right. which was great because then when I went to get it edited, it was easy to add an editor in and have them change stuff, and then I could see what they were changing. And oh, right, and, and you sure had that... you had like seventy nine editors on this project. <laughs> I had I had five, um, <laughs> and uh, it's the nice thing is is that uh, I have I have three friends who all write. Uh-huh. Um, uh, one writes well. Two of them write screenplays. Probably all three of them write screenplays. But one one does it professionally in Hollywood. I have another one, another writer uh, who worked on it. He actually uh, helped inject the book with a little bit more humor. Uh-huh. I you know put a lot of jokes in, but uh, he's a really funny guy, and he he writes uh, he does a lot of writing for the uh, Lowe's blog of of all things. <laughs> okay. Um, although he's not you know. I don't think he's generally being funny on there, but uh-huh. as a person, he's he's really funny. And so I was like, yeah, I, I, I'd love to have you kind of help. And so there was some editing done from the perspective of, is your grammar correct? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> are your commas in the right place? Mm-hmm. And then there was some editing done for, you know, sentence structures. Like you could say this much more clearly <laughs> if you said it this way instead of that way. And then, you know, there's also uh, cutting it, getting it cut down and making sure I wasn't repeating myself. And so, so different editors kind of had different takes on how to make, you said had a sort of make the book team of specialized editors. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like it wasn't just one person, you know, fixing the grammar kind of a thing. So I may, I don't know if you know, but what was the total word count that then became around 26,000 words? I only lost a, a couple thousand words at the end of the day. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I was up to 30, okay. uh, but I, I, 
it definitely went down after the edits got done partially because like i said when you go uh, you know you could say this in a more direct manner or more clearly uh-huh. <laughs> if you cut the sentence in half right <laughs> and and so as the different editors were kind of going through and doing different passes i actually gave them some guidelines on what i was looking for mm-hmm. uh, one of the ones was don't change my voice you know if i you know want to talk about coked up cheetahs don't don't try to change that and make it more mm-hmm. <laughs> not different or or whatever like leave leave that because that's me like so in this case your voice is like the metaphors you would use the the ways that you try to make something vivid and memorable yeah okay. or the humor right um and yeah i mean the book actually probably would have gotten an r rating and actually two of my editors were like okay we don't want to change you but maybe you should tone some things down <laughs> and you can say the same thing but maybe say them a little more pg-13 than than r-rated I all was right like, so so we're not talking a glenn glenn gary glenn <laughs> ross level of profanity but still more than your typical business book yeah like i i mean i've read a lot of business books and i don't see any swearing in them i mean not even damn or hell you know right. um That's... i mean granted there are they do exist real, de- real uh, out there, <laughs> um, but they're in the they're in the you know in the minority versus the majority. Right. The book has a soundtrack that is is companion the right word or is it like necessary? Like you'll miss something about the book if you're not listening to the recommended music while reading it. No, you won't. You won't miss anything. I just you know I love movies and great movies have great soundtracks right like you know if if i could hum a few keys of of star wars or indiana jones and uh or superman right and you would just you would connect those uh that soundtrack with that movie and that story and so the idea was to to do something i'd never seen anybody do which is create a soundtrack and that soundtrack sometimes it totally works with that chapter and sometimes it's just the feel of the chapter, but it's not necessary. Although I've had several people who've either listened to it, like they saw the soundtrack and then they started listening to the soundtrack and then they went down the soundtrack rabbit hole (laughs) and then they came back and read the book. And I've had a couple of people read the book while they're listening to the soundtrack because the soundtrack's about two hours or over two hours. Uh And so they were able to read and listen at the same time. Okay. And they really enjoyed the experience. And but no, you you wouldn't miss anything if you didn't listen to the soundtrack. But you know, I, I made a Spotify list, and if you're not a Spotify user, there's a YouTube list, so you can listen to the same music. You just pull it up in your browser, kind of a thing, and you don't have to have Spotify to listen to it. So that is a real gift. Your your <laughs> model about great movies and great soundtracks is wrong when it comes to uh, my dinner with Andre, which is a great movie with no soundtrack, I think, other than some intro. <laughs> And outro music, um, but quite right with Koi Hum Squatsi, which is almost more about the soundtrack. Are there genres that are not represented by your soundtrack for this book? Probably classical music. Okay. Um, I, you know, I've got, I think I've got like five or six different countries represented in the soundtrack. Okay. Um, I've got uh, Australian band, uh, French band, France is represented twice. I've got Japanese. Okay. Um, even what, though the song's done in, 
English. What, what's uh, overrepresented in the soundtrack? I don't know. I mean, I've got hip hop, I've uh-huh. got pop, okay. I've got, you know, uh, rock, <laughs> I've got rap, I, I've got dance music. Maybe the dance music's slightly overrepresented, but that's okay. probably because of my history being a DJ. So, <laughs> Oh, interesting. All right. So you spent two and a half weeks writing. It feels wrong to ask because it seems inconceivable, but did you hit a point where you felt like quitting at, at any point with the book project? It seems like you orchestrated it in such a way that you almost wouldn't feel that, but maybe I'm wrong. How was it? I did get to a point probably a week and a half in where I was just like, I started feeling tired because it was like using so much brain power to, to write and do the research. And I was super driven and super focused. It was like when I decided to write a book, it was like a switch flipped. It was Uh just like, I was in on mode and I went that way and trying to do 1500 words for a guy that had never wrote you know, more than maybe a hundred day writing emails or something, uh-huh. it became a challenge. And, and I remember like probably when I hit my low point, I did 500 words. And I think that day I, I, it was like squeezing blood from a turnip to get the 500 words. Yeah. And so I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm taking the rest of the day off. And I, I went out to lunch. I didn't even think I read anything. Cause I was just like, my brain is like just overloaded, but I didn't necessarily want to give up, but I just, I knew that I had, I had been pushing it. Cause like when I say two and a half weeks, I was going every day and writing, not just, or trying to hit 1500 words every day. Like I said, I, I didn't hit it every day, but I was working on Saturday and Sunday. And so yeah. I was starting to kind of not necessarily burn myself out like in the long run, but in the near term. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's where the challenge came in. And like I said, I just, I had to, kind of let my brain cool off i think i went and played some call of duty too um mm-hmm. you know and just uh let my brain kind of like pour out of my ear and and then uh reformulate and and then the next day i th- think i was still kind of like i need to rest a little bit more and so i i think i wrote a little bit that day but i was like i'm not pushing it and then yeah and then i got my second wind and and i finished it out and then after that, it was the temptation to go back in and fiddle, <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. tweaking and playing with things. It's like, no, I just, I need to get done. And the crazy thing is, it, is it took, you know, with all the editors, it took way longer to get the book edited than it did to write the stupid thing in the first place. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, was there any major reorganization that happened during the editing? No. No, not really. Um, one of my editors did look at that and looked at it for flow. And there were a couple of things where it was like, yeah, you know, maybe use a different analogy here or there. So there was some, a little bit of reorganization within that, but overall the chapters, everybody feels like the chapters work well. And I, I kind of wrote it like, you know, like you would a movie it's three acts essentially. And, um, you know, and you got your beginning and middle and end. And so, I, even though it's a business book, I, I followed a lot of my <laughs> storytelling <laughs> I training. Would ho- I would hope so. Yeah. 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 And, and how I kind of combined it together. And so, yeah. Was there a point when you felt emotionally, emotionally like you had accomplished something with this book project? I mean, yes, but for me, funny enough, 
Okay, so the, when the editing got done, that was a, and, and actually I had to set a, an end date with the editors because they kept fiddling. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's their job. <laughs> I, uh, I was like, we need, well, because the, the problem was that it, it had been like five months or six months. And I was like, this thing needs to, we just need to get this, this damn thing done. Okay. And, wait, so this was five months after the two and a half week writing sprint. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I I was starting to pull my hair out going, I want this freaking book done. And it didn't feel done because the editors were working on it. So there uh-huh. was no, I did like, I, I felt a little proud of myself that I wrote the book. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I was happy about the, the editors finishing up, I, you know, like, I think I, I want, I, when it finally came to the end, I was like, by the end of the, this week, come hell or high water, the editing is done. So, uh, so we set a hard deadline for that. And then, but for me, when it started to kind of become real, I, you know, I took the Google doc and, and then gave it to somebody who does book formatting and they actually turned it into a book that could be put on Amazon and, you know, and printed and, right. and downloaded on Kindle, added all the design and graphics and all that stuff. And that for me was like, I did it. I wrote a book. I'm done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. I, I am now in anticipation of the question I want to ask, wondering how many people have done heroin once in their life and that was it. And how many people got hooked the first time? I feel like writing a book is a little bit like that. Um, I think a lot of folks get hooked and there's going to be a second one. Are you? Is that how it's going to be for you? I, I've already started putting a soundtrack together for the I second knew it. one. <laughs> I knew it. You and I are both addicts. Um, what do you know about the second one at this point? I think I'm going to do a book focusing on, on branding. And I think I'm going to call it Branding for Humans. I think all my books are going to have something humans, the okay. word human in it. Okay. It'll be part of my brand for the writing. And, and uh, yeah, I just I found, found the song that I wanted to do for the intro to the second book. And I was like, I love this. And the song is what opposite of adults by Chitty bang. Okay. Um, and it basically, it's like, uh, these two guys and they're talking about how they're back. We're back. You know, we're ready. Let's get this thing kicked off. <laughs> and, you uh-huh. know, and, and that is, uh, that's kind of how I feel about the second book. Well, you know, that song doesn't have anything specific to branding, I think it works great for an introduction. I mean, in my current book, I have end credits where there are no end credits, but I've got two songs or one song, or I actually have two songs for the end credits, but one that I actually put in the book and one that's just on the playlist. And that's just, it, it has the vibe of like, yeah, this thing's done. You read it and it's just, it's, you know, this upbeat electronic dance song. And, uh, and then another song that's like a chill song because at the end, credits they often have that exciting song and then it, and then the music will sway down into something a little more chilled out as they finish out the credits so as they, um, as they talk about the the second uh the b the b team camera team and stuff like that right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah all the all the 3d people that they needed and you know and, and you know all that right um <laughs> okay seth this has been really fun Let's end with two things. Last, I want to hear 
I want the listeners to hear, you know, how they, the traditional end of podcast call to action. But before that, I want you to go to Spotify if you can and pull up your top songs for 2020 and uh, read the, you know, top five or seven, let's say. Uh, And I realize that for folks like you and I, it's going to be a lot of what you had playing on repeat most frequently (laughs) while you were working is probably what's going to be at the overrepresented on that list. But if you would share that with us and then uh green lights by cruella halcyon and on by orbital solar system by Subfocus, and love to give by dimension and culture shock and full sin by 1991 that's great <laughs> you're like i don't know who any of those people are <laughs> okay well i'm gonna share mine and All right. i'm curious if there's any like crossover recognition okay. and, and again, I always feel like I have, this is like this shameful secret that I have to disclaim in a bunch of different ways, but I'll just skip the disclaimer. So all armed by Niels from, and <laughs> here's the disclaimer. I was really into Japanese hip hop apparently in 2020. <laughs> so there's this group MSC that has two tracks, one called true B boys strikes back the other one in Japanese. So I don't, I can't pronounce it blown away by Sievert Hyam this guy by Derek Trucks band. Those are the top five. Well, so are you familiar with new Jibis? Mm, I don't think so. One of the tracks on the book uh, is, is done by new Jibis. He was a amazing uh, Japanese hip hop producer who used a lot of jazz influence uh-huh. in his music. And the song, like I said, is in English. So most people don't even realize that it's, it's actually a Japanese guy who did it. Um, unfortunately he was, hit and killed uh in a car accident uh several years back so but there's quite a few albums and if you like jazz (laughs) and you like hip-hop he's got some great stuff but yeah one of the tracks on on the spotify playlist for how to hack humans is called feather interesting that reminds me of dj crush do you know dj crush uh yeah i've heard some different stuff he had one album which i'm trying to find it's pretty far down the list here because this is chronological where he worked with a Japanese jazz uh, horn player. And that's a really good album. Maybe you would enjoy it, but I can't think of the horn player's name. That's, that's where I'm struggling here. <laughs> anyway, I also appear to be struggling to wrap up this podcast interview. <laughs> Seth, this was fun. How can folks find out about you, your book, storytelling, anything you'd like them to point them to I think would be great yeah so if your audience would like to check out the first uh, chapter of the book for free um, which covers a lot of the neuroscience research which I think is absolutely fascinating you can go to storyfy www.storyfyagency.com slash self-made and then you just put in your name and download the first chapter and uh you know, if you like the first chapter, you'll probably like the rest of the book. <laughs> if you're not a fan of people making jokes about about things while they're educating you, then probably don't want to download it. But like I said earlier, the book will be on uh, <laughs> on uh, Amazon on October 15th, and it'll be in print and Kindle edition. And then, you know, if you'd like to get in touch, you can always go to Storyfy Agency, and Storyfy is S-T-O-R-I-F-Y Agency. Dot com and uh, if you don't know how to spell agency, you probably shouldn't worry about reading a book. So uh, that's <laughs> that's where I'll leave it. 
Thanks, thanks for ending with a little insult to my audience. Um, that may be most of my audience. I don't know. So, um, so the slash self-made, is that just self and made together, or is there a hyphen between yes, them? Yes, one word. No, okay. no hyphen. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Seth, thanks for being here today. Enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.